Welcome back to Impact Show. I've been doing this show for four years around great people in my network, and I've been blessed to meet so many people in business, in education, nonprofit, and also those going into public life. None greater than Sean Collins, who's here today. It's a very special day because he just came back from the office of the registrar, where he has now filed the paperwork for run for governor of the great state of California, a state that I was born and raised in. My parents came here from Turkey and had my sister and I, and this has just been an amazing, amazing state. And now I'm raising my own family and my businesses. And so this state, although it is this wonderful place, it sure has its complexities, and right now it's facing a lot of issues. So I'm really excited to be here with Sean to interview about his candidacy for governor of California. Sean, maybe you could start with talking to our audience a little bit about your background and where you came from for those that don't know who you are. Sure, yeah. So I'll start with the things that are most important to me. So I'm a proud husband to my wife, Zaina Jafar Collins, and we have four beautiful children, ages nine, seven, four, and two. I'm a Navy combat veteran. I served on active duty in the United States Navy for about seven and a half years. I still continue to serve in the United States Navy Reserves. And I am currently a practicing attorney here in Orange County, California, where I'm raising my beautiful family. So I'll finish that with just saying I'm a proud Californian that wants to see California be better. It's one of the reasons why I'm running for governor right now. That's so awesome. And there's so many things there to unpack. Why don't we first start with your interest in legal and how you went into that with your education? Yeah, so my interest in legal actually was sparked by a job I got when I was in undergrad. So I played basketball at Rice University and I knew I wasn't gonna make it to the NBA. And so I had to start thinking about what I was gonna do after college and after basketball. And fortunately, I got an internship at a law firm in Houston with a guy by the name of Tom Alexander who turned into a mentor for me, but almost like a father figure. He took me under his wing and he taught me a lot about life. I say one of the biggest lessons he taught me about life, I'll never forget, he said, Sean, I can pay you a salary and you'll be an employee, but I'm gonna teach you how to practice law. I'm gonna oh. teach you how to build a law firm and build a law practice. Right. So, it was the equivalent of him telling me, I'm not going to give you a fish. I'm going to teach you how to fish. And I've never forgotten that advice to this day. That's huge. I mean, mentorship is such a big thing in, yes. in, in life, and that's fantastic and tribute to him. But talk a little bit about how you went from that into the Navy. How did you find yourself in, in the armed forces? Great question. So I, I definitely took an unconventional route. Uh, I got a law degree. And most people capitalize on that right away. But I had this calling to serve. So I come from a family of military service. It's what my, the Collins family does. My grandfather, World War II. My uh, father is a Vietnam era veteran. My older brother, service warfare officer. And I knew that I wanted to serve this country. So I actually got a commission in the United States Navy JAG Corps during my second year of law school. Um, yeah, so right after I finished law school, I went straight into the Navy JAG Corps. Well, maybe you didn't put that agility towards basketball, but I'm sure being in the Navy, that must have been a lot of work. I mean, on your body, on your brain. I mean, like, tell me a little bit about that experience going from, you know, school to, to, to that. It was. And so, yeah, one of the things about being a Navy JAG, it's difficult because 
Most people don't appreciate the fact that a Navy JAG is a military officer first and a lawyer second. Mm -hmm. So when you walk on to a base or when you're engaging with young people on a base, they're looking at you as a leader. And right. they're looking for you to set the example, set the tone for sure. how they're going to conduct themselves. Right. And so I learned a lot about leadership. That's probably the biggest thing that I got out of the Navy, Navy JAG Corps, how right. to be a leader, right. how to inspire young people, right. how to set the example for young people, because a lot of the people that you're leading in the military are ages 18 to 22, which is a very impressionable age. Right. Obviously, the past couple of weeks have, before we get into running for governor, I'd love to get your perspective, having served in the armed forces, on this conflict that's going on between Russia and Ukraine. I mean, this has just been, at least in my generation, a, a, a combat that is unprecedented with the refugees and with the crisis going on. What, what does that bring back to you, having served in the Navy, and, and any thoughts around all this conflict? Yeah, I'll start with war as hell. And that was, you know, that was a quote that I would use quite a bit because I had read about it when I was getting my education. And, you know, you've watched war movies on television. So you hear people say that, but I actually lived it when I served in Afghanistan. So I did a year-long combat deployment to Afghanistan, August of 2011 until June of 2012. And I had a very difficult assignment. I was actually stationed in Kandahar City. So I lived there with the Security Forces Advisory Team there. And I can tell you, I've lived to tell about a suicide bombing. I actually wow. uh, survived a suicide bombing, survived a car bombing, and I saw a lot of death over the course of that year. I saw a lot of uh, civilian casualties. And you see that war is awful. There's right. no other way to put it. So now when you're watching it on television again, part of me, because of what I've experienced, I'm reliving some mm -hmm. of that trauma when sure. I see the moms and the children coming out of bombed out buildings and rubble. Right. right. Because I've, I've, I've experienced that firsthand. I've smelled it. I've touched it. I know what it's like. Right. And my heart goes out to those people that are having to experience that right now. And all of us at the IMA, I know we just finished a uh, giving campaign uh, for the families of Ukraine. It is something that's very real. And I would think that that combat, that sort of warfare and that sort of trauma that you've experienced have really set you up for something else that you're doing right now, which is running for governor of California. Can you take us through how you came up with this decision and, and what, what was your calling to this? Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, I'll say that one of the biggest things I always tell people, so I got a formal undergraduate education and a law degree. So I have seven years of higher education, but that one year in Afghanistan was the biggest education of my life. Because what it gave me is it taught me empathy. Right. Empathy on a level that I had never understood it before. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my heart goes out to the people of Ukraine. But one of the things that I would always tell people when I got back from Afghanistan is like I would tell them somewhere in the world there is a conflict going on right now. Right. And people are suffering because of it. So right. always have compassion for them wherever sure. they're at in the world and whatever country and whatever capacity they're in. Understand that the United States military is the greatest fighting force that ever lived. And not only are we a fighting force, but we also are a force of compassion. Because right. that was one of our missions when we were in Afghanistan. And I want to draw on empathy for our audience. We have hundreds of thousands of viewers that are business people, small business, large enterprise. And it's all about understanding the other side. And sometimes you may be frustrated about a matter that you're going through. Empathy is a strong variable to leadership and what Sean's saying and what he learned through that experience in, in, in the armed forces is leadership and training. And we try to use empathy with our business, with what we do, because there may be sometimes you're in a conflict with a client or with a, a subordinate, a family member, whatever that may be. As Rick Warren, a good friend of ours, local pastor here, always says, someone always has it worse than you. 
Put right. yourself in that person's shoes and humble yourself around conflict. Coming back to this great state of California and your bid to run for governor, take us a little bit through your vision for the state, where we're at today and what you'd like to do. Yeah. So what inspired me to run is this state is lacking in empathetic leadership. You know, the problems in this state right now, they're so big, they're bigger than political party. Mm -hmm. Yes, I happen to be a Republican candidate for the governor of California, but our problems transcend Republican, Democrat, non-party preference, whatever. Right. I mean, let's look at the rankings for the state right now. Right now, California ranks 50th in upward mobility. Mm. So not only do we have high taxes, high regulation, and people are suffering in terms of the bills they pay at the, at the pump, at right. the grocery store for electricity, but there's also no opportunity for upward mobility, for them to earn the income, income necessary to live in this great state. That's a huge problem. California ranks 45th in terms of administration of public school education out of 50 states. When we have some of the, we have, we're sitting on the largest pile of revenue of just about any state. So resources aren't the problem in this state. Right. And so when I look at the problem, what I see is a lack of empathetic leadership is one of the reasons why I articulated the fact that my biggest takeaway from Afghanistan was empathy. Because if you're the governor of this state, it's not enough for you to understand that there's a problem. You need to feel the pain that your citizens are feeling. Mm -hmm. So, for example, our homeless problem, I'll use that as an example. I was almost homeless at two points in my life. Wow. But for the grace of God, I had aunts and uncles who were there to serve as a support network for my father when he was on hard times. Right. But if we don't have that network, my father and I and my older brother, we're living in a homeless, homeless shelter at one point in our lives. So let's unpack upward mobility and education. What are some of the solutions you look to bringing the state out of, out of that low benchmark? Yeah. So in terms of education, the biggest thing right now is, look, our teachers union in this state it's gotten to a point where it's not even about the quality of education. You know, there was a manifesto that came out not re recently and, you know, the teachers union had a lot of stuff in there that had nothing to do with the quality of education. And let me be clear, I am not anti-union. Look, mm -hmm. I am the product of a father who was an electrician who worked for Southwestern Bell, who was a union employee his entire life. When I was a child, I had high quality health care because of that union. Mm -hmm. So I understand the value of a union. I understand that a union is there to make sure that hardworking Californians have an honest, honest salary and they have benefits that are there to provide for their family. But when it gets to the point where the quality of the education is going down while teachers are continuing to take more, there's a right. disconnect yeah. because children are losing right now. Mm -hmm. And when children lose, we're losing the future of our state. And everybody needs to understand that. And it seems like there's this polarization that has been going on year after year in the state, why is that in your opinion? I mean, why, why are we so Republican and so Democrat? Why can't we see eye to eye on common sense issues like homelessness and education? Yeah, I mean, so I think the polarization again boils down to a lack of, a lack of empathy. Yeah. It's become more about my side and me winning as opposed to what is that person going through? That person that's living on the street right now, that person that was just the victim of a crime, the person that can't get a, get a job that pays a high enough salary for them to afford to buy their first home right. or for them to afford to buy the basic necessities for their family. What are they going through? What are they feeling? And then start with that as the baseline. Because when you mm -hmm. understand a problem, it's a lot easier to put solutions together to solve that problem. So shifting the dialogue from education to homelessness. In my life, I've never seen more homeless on the streets throughout California. I mean, it's not just Northern California, it's Southern California, it's Inland Empire. 
what's causing this? What, what, what's the precipice behind it? Why is our state seeing so much of this, physically seeing it? And, and what, what are your thoughts around homelessness as an issue for our state? Yeah, so in terms of what's the cause of it, I mean, there's a long history of it. A lot of it is, to summarize it, is bad policy by the state of California. So, and it dates back to the 1970s when we shut down our mental institutions and effectively made our prisons our mental institutions, and then prisons became overcrowded. Mm -hmm. And so it became a point where, okay, we can't put them in prisons, so we have to leave them on the streets. And we have not come up with solutions to address that. But I think another important thing you have to do with the homelessness problem in this state is you have to understand that there are different categories of being homeless. So there are the have-nots, which are the people kind of like my dad at right. one point in his sure. life, where he had economic hardship and he could not afford to provide a home for him and his two sons. So there's those folks who do need help in their hard times. Right. Then there are the will nots, that is the drug abuse. Mm -hmm. Those are the drug abusers who have, are battling with addiction. Sure. Or the mentally ill, which is another subset. Mm -hmm. So the mentally ill, yes, we need to provide services to the mentally ill. Right. Okay, they are sick. And yeah. that's where I say compassion and empathy are very important in terms of crafting solutions to address these real problems that we're having. And I also wanna say an important point is, for me, the homeless problem in this state, that's a personal issue. I have an uncle, my uncle Tim, my mom's youngest brother, who is homeless on Skid Row right now. So when I attack that problem, not only am I addressing it from a position of empathy, I'm trying to save one of my own. Absolutely. And if I can save one of my own, I can save over 166,000 others if I come up with a solution for my uncle Tim. Absolutely. And, you know, that is a key issue that I think is going to define the seat of governor in California. Another one is we all know this. I mean, businesses are just leaving the state. Um, I struggle with my own companies to find justification when I know just a, a, a state away, just the state tax savings are enormous. How, how do you deal with this because there are so many amazing enterprises that have left the state that include Tesla and others that we know these brands. What are your thoughts around that? And is there a chance that, that we can actually use your agenda as a U-turn to get some of these companies back or to keep companies uh, from leaving? Well, that's my mission as governor, to first stop people from leaving, but then get the people that left to come back. And first thing we have to start doing is we have to start treating businesses as partners in the state. Right now, we have a backwards mentality. Our government in the state of California treats businesses as a cash cow, as a source of revenue. And a business, just like a human being, knows when they are being used. Nobody wants to be used. I keep a personal count. I have eight close personal friends that are business owners that have left the state of California in the past five years. Again, I always lead from a position of empathy and try to understand what people are going through. But what's most important to understand about those eight friends that have left the state of California, Three of them are Democrats, mm. registered Democrats. Wow. And you know what they told me? They told me I had to pack up my business and leave the state of California or the state of California was going to put me out of business. And if the state of California put me out of business, I can't feed my family. Right. So the state of California turned their back on them, on a Californian, not a Democrat, not a Republican. The state of California has turned their back on its citizens. Mm -hmm. And we got to get that turned around. Again, my mentality is, Businesses are part, I want to partner with businesses in the state of California. Because right. I'll tell you another important thing. So I had the, the great honor to talk with Governor Greg Abbott recently. Yes, I remember. <laughs> and he gave me a lot of great advice sure. when I spoke with him. But the right. thing that I will always remember that he said to me is, he goes, you know, Sean, everybody congratulates me about Tesla. 
-hmm. coming to Austin and me getting Tesla and Elon Musk to come to Texas. Right. He goes, but you know what the biggest thing that no people don't appreciate that I got out of that deal? He says, now every 22 year old and 23 year old that are graduating from Caltech, MIT, name a prestigious university in America. And he mm -hmm. said, you know where they want to live? They want to live in Austin, Texas. That's right. I'm getting everybody's intellectual capital. Right. He said, forget about the tax revenue that I'm getting. I'm getting intellectual capital for the state of Texas. Right. That's leadership. Yeah. That's what I want to do. I want to lead here in California. California is the global tech and innovation hub for the world. Yep. We got to get back to that. We got to get back to leading so that 22 and 23 year olds who want to innovate in technology, they want to come back to California and innovate here for our state. And what are your thoughts on immigration, knowing that, you know, we share a border with Mexico? How, how is your agenda looking around this topic? Yeah, so first, this is, this is another topic I come at with a, with a, from a position of empathy. As you know, my wife, Zaina, is an immigrant from Beirut, Lebanon. Mm -hmm. She immigrated here when she was eight years old. And she actually didn't even know English at the time. She mm -hmm. knew a little bit of English, but not strong in it. She was in ESL for a year or two right. um, in Irvine Public Schools here mm -hmm. in the great state of California. And so, look, immigrants are a part of the fabric of this country. Right. Immigrants help build this country. And we always have to start with that fundamental premise. Yep. But that does not mean that we can have an open border policy. Mm -hmm. Because with an open border policy means that you have created a system whereby you're rewarding the breaking of the law. Mm -hmm. And we are a nation of laws, first and foremost. But more importantly is, you know, when you have an open border, how do you stop fentanyl coming into the country? Mm -hmm. How do you stop illegal weapons or illegal guns coming into the country? These are the types of things that you need to understand. When you lose control of your border, you lose control of your ability to prevent criminals from coming into the country as well. Right. And so there has to be a system whereby legal immigration is rewarded, just like my wife and her family that legally immigrated to this country. 100%. So why don't we talk a little bit about Sean Collins? Who is Sean Collins? And Tell me about your daily life outside of politics and business. Yeah. Tell our audience about who you are and, and what you do beyond that. Yeah, so I will say, Sean Collins, first of all, I'm a very proud husband to my wife, Zaina, and a proud father. I, I love being a, a great husband and a great dad. I start my day with that. And so I try to start every morning, and I'm not perfect about it, but I try to start every morning, start every morning with reminding my wife how much I love her because she gave me our four beautiful children. Mm -hmm. And then from there, as you know, I, I do school drop off. That's my That's badge right, of honor. Right, so right. I can't guarantee that I'm going to be home in time to pick up the school kids from school or to sometimes even be home for dinner. But right. I know right. I can control my morning. And the other thing I love about school drop off, as you and I talked about before, right. you get the kids fresh. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So if you get them at the end of the day, it's right. how was your day? Good. <laughs> <You know? laughs> how did this go? Great. Right. right. But in the morning, they want to talk. And yeah. so let's talk about basketball. Can you believe right. the Rams won the Super Bowl? I sure. know, Dad, sure. the Angels are going to be good this year. We got some pitching. So yep. Yep. those are the conversations yeah. in our car on the way to school. And it's morning. great seeing you in car line at school. It is really fun. So tell <laughs> us a little bit about the sports. Your kids play sports and you're into that probably. 
They are. So my kids are very big into sports, and that a lot of that has to do with mom and dad. So, sure. you know, I, like I said, I played college basketball, and I played every sport over the sun growing up. And my wife is a very, an avid sports uh, person, or yeah, sportswoman herself. Mm -hmm. uh, she loves playing tennis. She's run more marathons than I can count. Right. And she likes to remind everybody that she beats me every time we do a uh, half marathon or a marathon. But yeah, we're a very sports-oriented family, and my kids have all adopted that. That's awesome. Well, Sean, as we wrap up this uh, unprecedented, exciting interview with launching your campaign for governor, could you tell us a little bit about if, you know, you had three major, you know, things you want to accomplish for the state, what would be the, the lasting imprint that you want to have on people with this candidacy, with your campaign? What do you want people to remember? Yeah. So the biggest thing, so I'll start with my macro goal. Um, my macro goal is just to to build this state in a manner and get this state back on its feet so that when my four young children grow up, it's a place that's actually an option for them to come back to. Mm -hmm. So I'll start with that and say that there's three impediments to that right now. The economy. Mm -hmm. Right now, the taxes and the regulation are so high in this state, as you and I just discussed, it's driving all the businesses out of this state. Right. And as the businesses and the jobs continue to leave this state, our young people are going to continue to leave this state. And so for me, first and foremost, we have an existential crisis when it comes to a brain drain leaving this state. Mm -hmm. And in order for us to build the California of tomorrow that's going to be there to be, you know, right. a great state for our children to grow up in, we got to get that correct. We right. got to make this state pro-business again. Second, I'll say education. The fact that our state, we have the fourth largest income tax base of all 50 states, but we're performing 45th out of 50 Anywhere else in the world, in the private sector, you're being fired for that type mm -hmm. of performance. We got to stop rewarding such substandard performance because education is going to be critical to us remaining the global technology leader for the world. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is homelessness. We got to solve this homelessness yeah. problem because it's just an absolute shame. Again, you're talking about California, over $300 billion in revenue, one of the largest pools of tax revenue in the world, but we have over 160,000 people who are living on the streets. Right. We gotta do better. Right. Um, because at the end of the day, those homeless people, they're Californians as well. They're family, and we need to treat them as such. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Sean, for taking the time to meet with me and to share with our audience your candidacy for governor. Beyond this great initiative that you're taking on, you're really showing leadership, because leadership, we always say, is about action. And I think some of the toughest things to do is to act. Here you have this great law career. Um, you know, you're a veteran, you're a father, you're a husband. You've got this all set up, and yet you're, you're, you're moving the needle forward. Can you tell us a little bit about how you face the pressures of adversity when someone's like, oh no, like, why, why would you do that? What, what's going on here inside Sean Collins that says, no, I'm going for something greater. I want to help the citizens of California. I want to help my state. How do, you, how do you face the adversity and overcome it to, to do something even greater? Can, can you just hit on that one note right yeah. there? Yeah. Well, I'll start with I've been facing adversity my entire life. You know, growing up was rough for me. My parents divorced when I was three. Um, and my older brother and I raised ourselves mm -hmm. for a good amount of our lives. And when I say raised ourselves, I'm talking about getting ourselves to school, bumming rides to school, uh, walking home from school, making our dinner. And look, that's no slight to my parents. My parents were just doing the absolute best they can, mm -hmm. the best they could. They were working really hard to give us a life. Uh, but we raised ourselves. And so my point being is I never viewed myself as a victim. Mm -hmm. 
never viewed myself as a victim. I said, you know what? I got a brain and I can figure this out. And I worked my butt off. Yeah. And so I overcame a lot of adversity as a youth. Uh, as, as a youth sure. And I've continued to overcome adversity as a professional. You know, I'll use a, an example, but it's, it's, you know, when I was in Afghanistan, you know, there were a lot of people that didn't think I'd last one day right. where I was in Afghanistan because I was a Navy JAG that was put in a unit with a bunch of Army Rangers. Right. And we lived in a tent on a cot with two porta potties for a year. Wow. And every day I woke up in fear of an Afghan who was supposed to be my ally but that right. may potentially right. try to take my life that day. Wow. Because there were quite a few examples of that happening when I was in Afghanistan where a person who was disguised as a member of the Taliban wearing an Afghan national police uniform would walk up behind a U.S. soldier and shoot him in the back of the head. Right. So every single day for a year, I woke right. up thinking, this may be it for me. Right. This may be the end of Sean's story. And yeah, a lot of people didn't think I'd last a week in that environment. I lasted a year. Well, that's powerful, powerful yeah. stuff. And I really appreciate you for sharing that, Sean, because there's so many people watching this that are on the precipice of doing something great. Yeah. And sometimes it's adversity that keeps them from taking that step forward. Think about the pain that you've gone through or those moments in your life growing up that have actually been those moments of truth where you, you didn't know which way your life was going to go. That will help you get over that path and to actually go into something of, of greater value of your time. So That's with great. that, I present to you Sean Collins, not only a, a great friend, but you know, since the first moment I met you a few years ago, I knew you were someone special. Um, there's a lot that comes with you. And, and the more you, you get inside Sean, you start to realize that. And every leader, every elected official, every nonprofit leader that I put Sean in front of have immediately just like a magnet. They're, they're behind you. They're supportive of you. They believe in you. And we're excited to share this with our wide cast network of thousands of people. And hopefully we get millions of views with this segment. It's a special segment. And this is why I created Impact Show. It's to really tell those stories first, right? It's one of the first times you'll hear about Sean Collins running for governor of California. And this is one example of over 40 that we've shot. So thank you for tuning in today and we'll be back at you soon. Hey, it's Sinan Kanatsis, chairman of the Internet Marketing Association, coming to you live from the beautiful Montage Resort, Deer Valley. Just wanted to be the first to invite you to the spectacular Impact 22 conference taking place here at the spectacular resort. We're gonna do outdoor activities. We're gonna network among the best of the best in business and learn about the top thought leadership. With over 150,000 registrations, your message is gonna be heard by our entire network. Look forward to having you here in beautiful Deer Valley, Utah. Thanks.